Blog Talk Radio. Men and women, police and fire services, the doctors and nurses on the front line of COVID, 
especially those nice people to clean up after them and keep the house, keep the hospital clean and the wonderful people at the supermarkets to keep these stock these shelves stock during this buying pandemic and the frenzy. Uh, before we get into anything uh, tonight, uh, before I even go to the, the commercial, I want to say that we've been off the last couple of weeks for major reasons. Um, we had two of our staff, you know, very, very important people with this program, um, Don Henderson and uh, Bernard Fernandez, go down to, and be in the hospital. Uh, we're glad to, to say tonight and we're dedicating the program to both guys because they're both backed up uh, healthy. And uh, Don, of course, is wealthy. He's more wealthy than all of us, um, <laughs> according to Billy Wardell. And it must be called <laughs> Missing the Don. So, um, I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, Fighting Words is brought to you in grateful appreciation by BioSolar. If you're worried about paying your electric bills, if you want to lower your electric bills over the next 25 years, please give them a call at 727-314-6976. They are licensed and certified in each and every state. So if you give Patrick and the guys a call, they will make a time to come up and see you. They'll make arrangements to put the panels up on your roof, and then you pay the company. You do not have to pay your your uh, carrier anymore. And if there is a rate rebate for the non-use of or the sale of the extra electric, you get that right back. If you mentioned you heard it here on the fighting words first, you get an additional $250 when they come out to measure your house. So without further ado, um, we have the uh, His Royal Highness, um, the Roy the First, uh, on with us. And, uh, Don, yeah. well, for first. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, the first thing you want to do is don't try to count that money you think I have because it's all gone. But anyway, we got a great show for you tonight. Roy Cummings, who covers everything in Tampa, whether it's the Tampa Bay Rays, whether it's the Lightning, whether it's the Bucks. He covers it all, and he's with us every uh, every Wednesday night for the first half hour. Roger Handler is in Atlanta, Georgia. He covers everything down there from the championship Bulldogs to uh, what's happening at pro football and, of course, the world champion Braves. So we've got a lot of things to talk about tonight. And, fellas, uh, maybe we'll just touch briefly uh, because the Super Bowl's over. Everybody sort of talked about it and re-talked about it. But, uh, Roy, maybe you have a thought before we jump to another topic. Yeah, my first thought is uh, it's great to hear your voice again, Don. Uh, glad you're feeling better. Uh, glad you're up and moving, and uh, we missed you, my my friend. We missed you a lot. So uh, glad you're glad you're doing well, and uh, we're back at it here. Uh, but uh, as far as the Super Bowl goes, uh, yeah, look, I liked the game. I thought it was a good game. I thought it was fairly well played. I don't know that it was all that well coached, uh, particularly by the uh, the Bengals side. Um, wasn't a fan of uh, the fact that they really tried to establish the pass as opposed to the run uh, with some of the weapons they have, um, you know, Mixon and some of the others. I, I thought running the ball would have been a lot better for them, especially early on, and I would have liked to have seen them try to, you know, take away some possessions for the Rams that way. And then later, uh, you get down to the last, uh, you know, they're behind by three, uh, they got the ball, and, uh, you know, they got a chance here with a minute and, you know, well over a minute, minute 38 or whatever, 
uh, left to uh, uh, try to get in a position to at least tie the game and push it to overtime. Um, I, I thought the play calling was, was really, really questionable for me. Um, I don't like the – I didn't like the fact that uh, certainly on fourth down they try a pass, fourth and one, uh, with uh, plenty of time left and two timeouts. You could have run the ball there. I didn't like the play call before that. Um, I just thought that there were a lot of missed opportunities and just the clock management and the, the play calling uh, down the stretch there left a, a lot to be desired. And I think it's, uh, I think the Bengals kind of cost themselves an opportunity to win this game. Um, but overall, uh, well-played game. Uh, you certainly have to give credit to uh, uh, the Rams after losing uh, Odell Beckham Jr., who was playing at an extremely high level. Um, you know, it wasn't. Any, I mean, it wasn't anything they haven't done before because they certainly started the season without him. But um, you know, I think the Rams obviously look. I think we all thought they were the better team. Uh, I think there's certainly a lot of uh, people rooting for the Bengals because. Let's face it, Joe Burrow and that team has uh, kind of captured the imagination of a lot of people. So uh, they gave us a good game, and um, you know, hope they get back soon because I think it's a pretty good uh, emerging football team there. Roger, yeah, Roy, I agree uh, wholeheartedly with your assessment on the play calling, and um, you know, and it was a, a really a good game to watch. And I didn't see all of it because I was working, but I did see uh, the second half. But one thing that I wanted to point out, and I'd love to have all three of your comments about it. When they, uh, Goodell presented the trophy uh, to Stan Kroenke, I thought you sensed there was uh, a coolness there uh, because of the reports that I've heard from various sources about uh, uh, Kroenke and the other owners uh, having had uh, some heated uh, the, uh, discussion uh, because of the lawsuits in St. Louis that are still there, where he said he was going to uh, take care of everything on the financial end. Then he goes and has to ask the other owners to help him out. And I thought, you know, Goodell didn't seem to be too friendly with him, in my opinion. And he said uh, to him, well, you brought the uh, Rams back to Los Angeles you built this beautiful stadium, and that was pretty much exit Roger Goodell. What is, did you fellas feel uh, that sense that I did about that at all, Roy? Okay, yeah, I'll go first. Um, you know, I, I sort of sense that, yeah, it was a, it was a little cold, um, but I think Roger Goodell probably look. It's been a tough week for Roger Goodell in the NFL overall. I think part of that may have been that Roger Goodell wanted to stay away from that uh, limelight, as, uh, that spotlight as much as possible uh, in that moment and just, you know, let the team uh, enjoy their victory, which is a good thing. I mean, people aren't there to see Roger Goodell, that's for sure. I think that had a lot to do with it. But, you know, there may have been some coolness there towards Stan Kroenke. Let's face it, you know, Stan Kroenke, you know, several years ago, put the NFL in a very tough position. Um, he, he took a he took a team out of a, a a city in St. Louis that was supporting the football team and supporting it extremely well. That St. Louis right. didn't deserve to lose that team. Um, I understand that you could make more money if you build a stadium in uh, in Los Angeles, and that's a great thing uh, for the people of Los Angeles. But uh, you know, to make that happen, um, a community that had supported that team for a great number of years. Um, and supported another team for a great number of years in the St. Louis Cardinals, 
twice uh, has lost a, a franchise, and, and, and that's not good. I don't think the NFL looks good when franchises move. I think, uh, uh, you know, I'll go out on a limb and say I, my guess is that Stan Kroenke is probably not one of Roger Goodell's favorite, uh, favorite owners. He's caused him a lot of anguish and uh, caused the league a lot of, you know, uh, eyesores. And, um, you know, they won a championship, so I think it was a little bit of a bittersweet moment there. And that might have had a little something to do with uh, with the uh, with the feeling that uh, you, you got from Roger Goodell. Well, I agree with you 100%, Roy. I think that uh, Roger Goodell was trying to stay as much as he could because, boy, did he take heat all week about the halftime show, the people that were going to be performing, uh, what was happening with some of the players. Uh, there were just so many things anti-National Football League for the biggest event of the year. And uh, I, I think he tried for the most part to stay in the background and, and uh, you know, let other people jump up and down and celebrate what happened and uh, sort of step aside. Roger? Well, uh, yeah, you know, I can understand that. And, and he did take a lot of heat, and he's continuing to take a lot of heat, too. And he will continue. I thought I didn't watch the uh, halftime show. I've heard a lot of people that turned it off. They wanted no parts of it. And I'll tell you what, I do not understand how uh, uh, the uh, the league and the sponsor, how, why they can't come up with a family uh, type of uh, entertainment for halftime that's going to be all-encompassing, that make it really an enjoyable where you don't have the controversy. There's so much ent- entertainment, and especially when you're in L.A., by the way, Roy, I understand that the uh, rental that uh, Franke gets from the Chargers is a dollar a year. Uh, that's unbelievable, too. So, Yeah, that's it is my unbelievable. Opinion. Well, let's well, go back to your first answer about the game. Uh, Roy, and I, I agree with you. I think there was some very unusual call playing. I thought when they had the ball inside the 50-yard line on their first drive and uh, they decided to go for it, and, uh, you know, uh, just a, a, a plunge into the middle of the line. And uh, the defensive line for the Rams is pretty tough to do that. And, of course, he wound up uh, not making it, and the Rams got three points right off the bat. And then in that last series, as you indicated, uh, they had every shot in the world. Uh, it was third down and again, one yard to go. And, again, they called the exact same play right into the middle of the line. And uh, not only didn't he gain anything, they didn't. They lost a little bit. And uh, when you looked at what the Rams were doing as far as the the defense was concerned in the last 10 minutes of the game, uh, I mean, let's face it, Burris was sacked, what, eight times, all-time National Football League record at the Super Bowl. Uh, and uh, to think that he wasn't going to be harassed and pressed on that last, on that last uh, throw uh, was really uh, was amazing to me. So I, I agree with you. I think it was a very, very suspect calling from Cincinnati's standpoint. Yeah, it was kind of odd how, you know, as you said, on that uh, on that first uh, fourth down try at midfield on the first uh, uh, the first possession, you're going for it, and which I, I didn't mind necessarily. I mean, hey, you know what? Be aggressive. I don't have a problem with that. I no, I, I agree because he's the underdog. He wants to he wants yeah. to steal something right out the, right off the bat. But again, and then I thought they got conservative late, 
and, and I didn't, you know, and again, it, it just seemed to me as if they were trying to, you know, lean on the past. And I don't know. It just, it was, it was, it was confusing. I, I don't know that the game plan was very good. And, uh, you know, obviously the play calling was, was, was very questionable. And, uh, and I just, I think a little bit better play calling would have given, uh, would have given Cincinnati a little bit better chance. Cause Let's face it, Joe Burrow can, uh, can certainly play uh, some football, and they, they, that's a that's a good young football team there. I, you know, it's tough to get it's tough to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, I could see them being a playoff team again. You know, do they get back there? Hey, you never know. Uh, for some teams, it happens. Uh, for some, it never does. Roger, oh, you're right. No, you're exactly right, Roy. And uh, I I'm still uh, you know thinking about. That first uh, uh, and and uh, what was it uh, yard to go at the forty nine or forty eight yard line? I I did not understand that call at all. I mean and and some other ones, but that one in particular, I thought it was way too early. And uh, I totally agree that they were uh, very you know uh, uh, aggressive early and conservative late, especially when you have the best uh, field goal kicker in the league right now. And, uh, right. All yeah. you got to do is pick up. All you got to do is pick up 15 yards. You're going to tie the game with three points, and then anything can happen in overtime. So, uh, Roger, I agree. With you. I, I go right back to Roy. I, that, I just didn't understand that series of calls. You know, not not only that, but and, and look, he's a young quarterback in, a, in as tough a spot as he could possibly be. Um, I didn't like the the decision uh, at the point. I believe it was a four, second down play where they basically wasted about 20 or more than that, maybe 23, 24 seconds uh, was wasted. Uh, and then they end up uh, basically throwing, throwing the ball away. Right. And, and that was, I thought that was, uh, that kind of set them up for the, for the situation where they're at fourth and one. And, um, you know, I thought that was poorly handled as well. You had timeouts. You could have called one there um, before, instead of, uh, rushing up to the line and trying and trying to get everybody set and wasting 20 seconds and then just basically throwing the ball away. I, I thought that was a waste um, because in essence it was almost like spiking the ball and it was just a, a you know a, a waste of time. But even though you know you still get the third down and fourth down, you still had you know 38, 48, 58 seconds there uh, on, on the clock plus two timeouts. So right. there was time to, to you know to think that out, reason it out. Get some other people, and you know, just you know, take a time out. And everybody talk it over and say, okay, what's our best play? I, I don't know that that happened. Well, you know what else, fellas? Uh, that muffed hold uh, on the uh, uh, field goal, or the uh, the ex- I'm sorry, the extra point. Just think that if that was only a three point differential instead of four, that may have changed the Rams' offensive strategy to just go down and uh, kick a field goal to tie the game up and go to OT. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, that, well, that, that was fortunate. Is, That's what put him in the position well, to, to tie around, it up anyway. Around all, all, uh, this time was that, that whole fourth quarter, Joe Burrows played with uh, two uh, torn meniscus. Uh, you could see him when he went down the first time and, and, and uh, they hit how he grimaced. But that's pretty tough to play a uh, 15 minutes, which turns out to be 30 minutes or 45 minutes when your knees are killing you. So that's probably had a lot to do with why he didn't do any uh, 
Uh, yeah, they said today that uh, <laughs> it's not going to uh, not going to impede his uh, coming back early no. for uh, camp next year or anything no. else. He'll he'll be a hundred percent. Changing topics yeah. for just a few seconds. Can't talk too long about it. But uh, some of your thoughts, all three of you, are we going to have baseball? I mean, are the, are the owners absolutely? Are the players absolutely out of their minds? Yes, absolutely. Well, I'll yes. go first. Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. I do not understand what is going on. Uh, look, we're all big baseball fans. We love the game. We'll never abandon it. But on the bigger stage, it's already been you know surpassed by football. Um, I don't think it'll ever be surpassed by basketball or hockey or, or auto racing or anything or even soccer, which is you know obviously a worldwide sport. But you know. There's concerns about the the quality of the game. You know what they should be talking about is, I mean, they've had this opportunity to get this collective bargaining agreement deal done for. This has been going on for years, and right. you know there've been opportunities here to to get together and try to find ways to better the game uh, at a time when you know it's really changed in, in so many ways the way pitchers are used and. Now you're putting the DH in the, in the National League, which is another debate whether people want that or not necessarily. And, but, yeah, they're, they're screwing this thing up. And, I mean, look, they're in a very small window here where some people will, you know, say, okay, look, you know, they, we had a hiccup here. But I fear that the regular season is not going to start on time. I don't see much movement coming from either side. Um, it, it's a bad deal. There's an awful lot of distrust. And, to be honest, I don't understand why. I mean, it's a it's – a, Six, eight, nine billion dollar industry. How can they not figure this out? How can this not be figured out? And the and Major League Baseball to me just keeps making one mistake after another. They spend seven, spending you know seven hundred fifty dollars an hour on attorneys to fight uh, to keep to, to to put out an argument to avoid having to pay minor league ball players. I mean, I, I just don't get it. It it's just, no. it doesn't make any sense to me. It just doesn't. I think it's an incompetent commissioner. That's my opinion. Uh, He's done a lot of things to ruin the uh, game uh, and just seems to be totally disorganized. What do you fellas think? Well, well, Roger Hill tells you he was the one who got the last deal done uh, by stepping in and uh, and making some some moves that uh, got the two sides together for the last collective bargaining agreement. I don't know how true that is, but, you know, it just seems to me that they're, they're playing they're, they're playing some wrong hands here, and I'm not a fan of it. Oh, they well, are. My last my last point on the baseball because there's really nothing we can uh, say from a positive nature. But you know, I, I look around. Uh, we're very fortunate to live down here in Florida, and Roy, you've been down here for years and years. And uh, each one of these cities uh, along the west coast of Florida, and some along the east coast as well. The city has spent millions and millions of dollars at the request of these teams to move in and have that exhibition season in, in Florida. And it's a big part of the uh, uh, recreation area for the whole month or five weeks when spring training is going on. Let's just take the Braves. Roger, you're more familiar with them because they just moved from over in Orlando down here below us in Sarasota. And they spent millions of dollars down there. Don't mm-hmm. those people, don't the cities have any recourse against the owners of these teams who solicit all this money to build these stadiums and the cities build them 
And now, no spring training. Well, I would hope that they do. They're entitled to it. You know, that's something that I I, I hear where you're coming from, Don, and I I agree wholeheartedly. And, uh, you know, spring training to to some may seem like, you know, it's a month-long, you know, operation. But, you know, a city like Lakeland uh, or a town like Lakeland, however you want to refer to it, uh, the economic impact on uh, a town like Lakeland and, and all the teams, basically all the cities that have Major League Baseball uh, in spring training, except for, you know, some of the Phoenix and Tampa, are small communities like that. As you said, Don, $55 million of economic impact uh, is made on the city of Lakeland alone during spring training uh, each year. $55 million of economic impact uh, on a community like that. To not have that can be devastating. I mean, you know for a fact that, you know, it, that's, that's high season for, for Lakeland, Florida. And it's the same for Charlotte and, you know, every other city, maybe not so, so much Sarasota, but uh, just about every other community that has these teams uh, in, in Florida and Arizona, uh, they're really hurt by this. And it, it just seems like the owners don't care. It's like, yeah, okay, that's right. well, somebody's going to have to take a hit here, but it ain't going to be us. You know, and, and the money is there to pay the players, and, and, and it's just like, I don't know that all the owners even trust each other. I mean, you know, the way the whole, uh, you know, penalty tax, the, the threshold is and everything else, I don't think the owners even trust each other, much less trust the, the players. It's, it's amazing that baseball um, has gotten into this fix, and, and it's, it's quite a fix. Well, they say they talked about everything in the world except now you're not having spring training, but they haven't talked at all about the fact how much money have these cities paid. I know here in Sarasota they paid sixty million to redo Edward Smith Stadium, you know, when the when the Orioles came in. Down in uh Fort Fort Myers, uh the Red Sox they spent oh my god, I think over two two uh, um, a million bucks more because they were going to move. And they, I just think you have some responsibility. If you're an owner, I think you have some responsibility to these people that have supported financially, as well as from a spectator standpoint, your sport. Well, you know, it, 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 at the end of the day, it probably won't come off as that much money uh, for these owners. But, uh, you know, I'd like to see a nice class action suit from all those communities suing uh, Major League Baseball for the money that they did lose if they lose, you know, depending on how much they actually do lose. You know, the, the economic numbers are there. The impact numbers are there. And if they don't have games, and again, we haven't lost any games yet. Um, but, you know, I'm also not hearing about, you know, uh, negotiations starting tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock and going until they, they get a deal done. We haven't gotten to that point. Right. Um, right. But I, I could see, uh, uh, in fact, I'd, I'd encourage it, a class action suit against Major League Baseball to say, look, it's not just you, you know, 30 owners that benefit here. There's people in communities that are counting on this. And, uh, and obviously, you know, the fans are, are, are put off. And, and, and it's like there's just no respect for, for as you said, Don, no respect, obviously, for, uh, for the communities that have, are paying so much money to, to house these Major League teams in, in spring training. Really no respect for the cities that, that uh, have them during the regular season, and certainly no respect for the fans. Roy, well, I want to thank you, know, you very much. As always, the first hour was, was a terrific first half hour, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Really looking forward to it. Thanks once again. 
Well, thank you, uh, and again, great to have you back, Don. Uh, continued uh, improvement on your on your health, my friend. Thank you, my man. We'll do it. Next up is Chris Wheeler. We're talking about baseball, and you know, Chris and I have sort of gone through Clearwater, Florida, from the days of Jack Russell Stadium up to the complex they have right now. And uh, there were degrees of when they were going to build it, where they weren't going to build it. They were going to do this. They weren't going to do that. Chris, you're as familiar with spring training as anybody in the world. I mean, it just seems to me that it's an injustice to all these cities. Oh, it is, Don. You know, and uh, I, I heard the uh, tail end of what you guys were just talking about. And it's so true. You know, the fans really don't care about the issues and this stuff, and they never have in all the other uh, stoppages we've had. All they care about is, uh, they're not getting their games, and, and obviously the spring training, like our city here in Clearwater, it's, you know, it's a nice little revenue hit for them too every year. Um, so it's just unfortunate. You know, 95 was the last one, and you hope you wouldn't have another one. And, you know, I get it all the time still, and you'll, you, I'm sure you do too. How come you guys don't have a salary cap? And my answer is, well, what the hell do you think those seven or eight other work stoppages were about? The owners were never <laughs> able to get one. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's not, right. like, it's not like they're a bunch of dummies and never tried to get a salary cap. They tried to get a salary cap every time, and it never happened, and it never will. Roger. And the other thing is you've got Scott Boris, uh, Chris, as the uh, ringleader uh, agent. I'm, I, I don't know if he's in football or not, but he's definitely in <laughs> baseball. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish him on the NFL. Uh, you know, you know baseball's done enough with him. You know, if you're if you're a client of Roger, uh, if you're Roger, I'm sorry. If you're a client of Scott Boris's, um, you know, you you're very happy. Uh, if you're part of the the association, the union, you're very happy with Scott Boris. But if you're on ownership side or uh, even on the fan side, you know, you have to look at the things he does. You know, he. He does what he's supposed to do for his clients. Let's uh, let's just say that and and leave it at that. But uh, is he good for the game? No, of course not. Absolutely. Well, Chris, uh, you know we we talk about baseball from the old days all the way back to Connie Mack Stadium right through until now, and uh, the way the game has changed, changed, changed. And one thing I'm a little bit surprised about is the fact that before the lockout, the Phillies did not really make any aggressive moves to sign players that would be beneficial. There were players out there that would have helped them. They needed a center fielder. They needed a third baseman. They needed a starting pitcher. They needed a lot of things. And as long as this lockout goes on, the chances of getting, in my view, some players are going to really help you to be competitive with the Braves and the Mets and whatever. The Mets spent a lot of money. Uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, you know, I can do it. Don, I'm as, I'm as removed as you are now. You know, I, it, it's like people say to me, well, when do you find out things? I say, I find out when you find out because I don't have any, I don't have any sources anymore. I mean, Bo's around a little bit. Well, you know, Larry's around a little bit as an advisor, so we can talk and I can get some feel for things sometimes. But um, I, I think what you, what you have to do is understand they do have a really, really competent guy running the baseball side right now and Dave Dombrowski. Uh, everybody would agree. Well, I think every, most people would agree with that. Maybe some don't. But the idea that he doesn't have some kind of a plan or they didn't have some kind of an idea and the pieces didn't fit before the lockout, I think you, you almost have to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. 
Now, if you all of a sudden are, uh, find the camps opening up and, all, and, and uh, you have to do so many things that the Phillies do have to do and not able to do it, then you say, well, could it have been done before? Uh, if, you know, wh- wh- why wasn't it done before? Or, or how couldn't it have been done before? As you mentioned, uh, New York, the Mets were able to do some things and fill in some gaps for them um, with that owner's uh, open pocketbook. So we'll see. But I, I, I've known Dave a long time. I know you've known him. Uh, everybody, when you're in the game with Dave Dombrowski and you're around him, you're always, always impressed with him. He's a, he's a good man. And he really knows how to work the business, but whether or not he can bring this Phillies team uh, from the ashes that uh, you know that has been the last few years, uh, it's going to take a little bit of time. And this year, really, is probably going to be a challenge because of this labor situation. Roger, you heard down yeah. there with the world champions, and all they keep doing is getting better. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what they they made some good moves. I'm no uh, Chris agrees with that and uh yeah still have to have a lot of luck chris to uh, win the world series and go as far as the brave is no doubt but uh, i did want to um one of the things and i agree with you with uh dave dombrowski um one of the things that uh i have excuse me been thinking about and that's the last two years of the phillies draft and uh, because the the previous X number of years were a disaster, uh, Mickey Moniak, et cetera. Uh, but what's, you know, you, you and I and Don Frank, we're always big on uh, the minor leagues and scouting and player development. What's your opinion now about what you know about the uh, the draft and how the players are responding from the last couple of drafts? Well, I think that the, the number one thing to say about it, Roger, is they changed the minor league system during the off season. You know, they brought mm-hmm. uh, Don Mattingly's son in to run the run the, run the whole thing. They changed a lot in the scouting department. There, there are a lot of new people that I have no clue who they are right now, and haven't met any of them who are in charge of, of the minor leagues now that Dave's been there for a year. So that tells you all you need to know right now. Yeah, I, I never forget when he when he uh, first came to the Phillies. One of his lines in his press conference was, "You know, from the outside, you know, a lot of us can't understand why things aren't better with this organization right now." Well, you know what? He was around for a year, and now he knows, or he has mm-hmm. a better feel of, of some of the things that need to be done, starting with the minor leagues. And as you mentioned, the farm system is is not a a strong point right now, and you can only do so much with free agency. Heck, they've got Real Muto and and, uh, and Harper with these monster deals right now. Mm. And, you know, Noah has a pretty good one, too. You can only pay so many guys. I mean, you have to have 25 players, and they all can't make $30 million a year or $20 million mm-hmm. a year. You know, that's not going to work, not even for the Mets. So they, they, no. they need to produce some players from the farm system, and they just have not done a very good job of it for a while. Wheels, I think the other thing uh... – like we had Larry Bow on a couple of weeks ago, and I thought he made a couple of really key points that I hadn't thought about. One was that uh, a lot of these young players in that 20-year-old bracket, 21-year-old bracket, are, are losing a year. I mean, they lost a whole year, and as he said, you can't lose a year in baseball at that age. You've got to be able to play somewhere. Minor league baseball has to be played, and you have to be participating or you're going backwards. 
Well, as you just said, when you talk to Larry Bowe, he's going to make good points. Um, sometimes he uh, has a different way of making them, as we all know over the years, having been confronted by him. Uh, I am going to see him Friday night, go out to dinner with him and his wife, Patty Renee's here with me. And we're going to go out with them on Friday. So I'm sure I will get quite an earful about what he feels about the current situation. But, um, and he hasn't changed. You know, I, uh, you've known him a lot. I've known him since 1971 when I started with the Phillies, and he and I are the same age. Uh, so, you know, we've been together for a long, long time, and I, I learned a lot from him, and you will always learn things from him if you want to listen. Sometimes you have to shut him out. But that um, that point he just made, look, our game is more – I, I can't talk about hockey, basketball, and football. I mean, I like them all, and I don't, but I don't know that much about them. But I don't think there's any sport that – requires more repetition than baseball. It, it, and all you have to do is look at why we can't have an 18-year-old play in the major leagues right away or a 19-year-old. Rarely do those kind mm-hmm. of things happen, that they need to go to the minor leagues and, and have that repetition. Now, coming out of college, they've had some repeti- repetition. But what Bo just said, missed a whole year of 500, maybe three, 400 plate appearances or how many – innings even though they've cut that down or how many appearances and those kind of how many ground balls they took in uh, uh, pregame those situations so yeah it's a great point and uh, and you can't you can't recover that I mean those are those are that's gone and those are one of the things that are going to set the industry back for a while right you want to jump in and ask your question I'm just uh, trying to get a hold of uh the uh, mayor of both uh, Bennett and uh, uh, Sarasota to see if there is a clause in that uh, in, in their their uh, contract on Ed White Stadium and the new Atlanta, Atlanta Braves Stadium uh, as far as if they don't play uh, anything this year. So uh, uh, I've always been a I've always been a big fan of Wheels and I love listening to him and the, he was very kind to my family and I when we were up. The, a year or so ago up to see him. So uh, um, just go right in. Well, well thanks, you know, thanks, on the, good, good, to, good to hear from you too. And, uh, and I, I have no idea what the, what the, um, the uh, contract situations are with the cities, cities. As you know, we have a tremendous agreement here with the city of Clearwater and have for a long, long time. We have the second longest uh, continuous involvement with the city. Uh, uh, I think the, the, uh, Tires in Lakeland are number one, and we, we're number two. So we have a great arrangement here. Uh, what would go on if they start canceling exhibition games, uh, I, I don't know. But nobody's, nobody's going to benefit from that. Well, you know, we're go, go, going, Frank and, and, uh, and Chris and Don, going back to what we talked about with the St. Louis uh, Rams with Stan Kroenke. There's that class action suit there. Uh, you know, uh, because of the way St. Louis, uh, that whole thing was handled. So, I mean, there are class action suits, I would think, that a community uh, could go after a team. But on a lighter side for a second, Chris, uh, did you ever know a gentleman at, C- at CAU named Colin Hanna? Colin Hanna. Yeah. No. Okay. I, mean, I, I knew a lot of people from up the Up on the CAU second days. floor, Chris. He was up with. Up with the management on the second floor. Well, here, here's the – I got to tell you. Was he, up with quick, Mike, was he up with Mike Grant and Jack Clements and those people? He, yeah, he was in uh, sales. And here, here's yeah. the uh, the story. Uh, 
a couple of weeks ago, I was flipping the dial in the morning before I went to work, and uh, the old To Tell the Truth with Gary Moore's on buzzer from 8 to 8.30. And one of the imposters, <laughs> and this is in 73, Chris, one of the imposters is Colin Hanna. And he says, I'm an account executive at CAU in Philadelphia. Wow. So I Google him. Wow. I don't know whether the guy's alive or not, okay? <laughs> He's alive. And he was the acting general manager. I think it's what uh, Radley Run Country Club in Westchester, which looks from pictures like a very exclusive place. So anyway, I got I got in touch with him, and of course he knows Don. Everybody knows Don. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, he said. He said, "How do I get a copy of that show? I've gotten calls from all over the country." And I said, "Well, listen, we'd like to have you on because I want to talk about CAU when they were covering yeah. all sports. Okay, that was the voice of sports in Philadelphia. You know, back yeah, well, I then. was around in those days. I was around in those days as a kid back in the '60s, working in the newsroom." Uh, before I went to Chicago in 1968, I was in the newsroom for a couple of years because of because of Ed Harvey and Jack Downey around the place at the time. Are you saying Colin McHugh is the general manager of Radley Run? Is that what you said? Uh, Co- Colin uh, Colin Hanna. Colin, but he's Colin the acting. Hanna? But he's yeah. But you know what he does, oh, Chris? Because, he's got a because uh, it, 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 it is a nice. Oh, yeah, it, well, it, he's it is got a beautiful. A, it, it's it's a beautiful club. You're right. Well, he he's got a movie production company now, and he's doing a movie on Frederick Douglass, which I think is very interesting. But uh, you're not you talking know, about Colin Mc, Colin McNeil, are you? No, no. It said Colin. Oh, Hanna. okay. Yeah. Okay, Colin Hanna. And then he went right. to CBS in New York, and uh, but I did mm-hmm. talk to him uh, Saturday, and uh, hmm, and I sent him the information that I had. But uh, what was funny, I said, well, did you know, well, he's friends, his father was friends with Ed Snyder, Lou Scheinfeld, and Gil Stein. So there you go. Wow. (laughs) That's old. That's old. (laughs) (laughs) We're old. (laughs) I still do a a Zoom TV show. With uh, a, a Zoom show with Lou Scheinfeld once in a while. <laughs> he's like, I'm oh. doing one next week, next week with him, and it's, you know he's one of my heroes for all he did in Philadelphia for all those years. So he's really a nice man, and always great to talk to him. Yeah, we we had him on because he's working on the uh, Sports Hall of Fame, you know, and uh, they've gotten uh, one section, uh, or you know, they've got a, a small one down in uh, I think around. Williamstown, but it was funny. I talked to Dan Baker because Dan had another procedure uh, on Friday, and I told him about this. And I said, "Dan, this guy was like an account exec when you were doing the weekend sports at CAU <laughs> in '73." Yeah, yeah. So Lou Scheinfeld is one of those good people, boy. Uh, he, I think he just came out with a book too. And uh, any he anytime did. you yes, talk he to did. Lou, yes, you can he learn did. a lot Not about too long ago. Philadelphia. Yeah, right. Yeah, man. I think the book's already been out. Like when we had him on, Roger, I think it was about three months ago, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and it's all about the uh, spectrum. I think is the, mm-hmm. uh, the the big thing. 
And uh, yep. but you know, I, I, I mean, listen, we're all Philadelphians, and when you you think about the Flyers and the way that they you know, going down this year. Ed, Ed Snyder's got to be turning over in his grave with this team. Well, you know, they, they, they've had to do, they've done things their way for a number of years. And, um, you know, I'm no expert on it. You know, I wouldn't, and I, they have a very loyal fan base, but I'm sure when you're in a league like that or the NBA, when so many teams make the playoffs, that you're not happy when you don't make the playoffs a lot of years. Right. Right. Chris, let's get back to baseball for a second. Another thing I didn't uh, talk with Larry Ball when he was on with us, and that was, uh, it looks like the designated hitter, if they don't settle anything else, the designated hitter is coming to the National League. Uh, Your thoughts on that? I'm okay with it now, Don. I mean, I don't like it, but especially since I'm not on the air anymore, it won't bother me as much. If I were on the air, I'd hate it because you, you know how we did games in those days. You know, I tried to be two, three steps ahead of things that were going on by looking at my lineup card and think of matchups that were coming later in the game and matchups out of the bullpens and those kind of things. Uh, um, now it won't matter because the pitcher can stay in the game. I, I'll never forget when Roy Halladay came over to our league and he used to get so ticked off when Charlie would come and get him in a game, in a tie game maybe or down by a run late or, or have to hit for him or something like that because he wasn't used to it. He was used mm. to pitching a complete games when he was with the Blue Jays because you never had a hit for him. You don't have to worry about right. it, those kind of things. So it's very different. Than, you know, I, I, think it, I think Philadelphia fans are real, you know, and, and nowadays there's so many people don't care that one way or the other with it, but the real die-in-the-wolf fans that love to second-guess and do all those, it's a lot harder to second-guess the manager and that's, you know, that's in our DNA in Philadelphia. That's all part of it because every fan thinks he knows more than the guy that's in the, in the, in the uniform in the dugout. So you're going you're gonna to miss that. I think people are really going to miss that. But I also understand that time moves on, and that's where we are right now. Well, I would agree with you 100% on that, although, to be very honest with you, all the years that I've been doing these kinds of shows, I was 100% against the designated hitter. But two or three years ago, I said, look, we're getting into games now where pitchers throwing 105 miles an hour, 102, 103. And here's a guy who hadn't hit since he was in maybe an American Legion ball, and he's going to go up to the plate. I mean, why take a chance on some guy getting hit with a pitch or something happening? So uh, I've completely reversed my thinking on it. I'm, I'm now in favor of the, uh, the designated hitter for that reason. You, you are making a great point, too, Don, because – they don't have the designated hitter in a lot of the minor leagues, so they don't hit. And then they're up there, and they're trying to get a guy to go up there and bun off a guy throwing 100 mile an hour, and they break their fingers, right. they break their hands. They can't get their, They don't know how to get out of the way because they're not used to a pitch coming in on them. Uh, it's really dangerous. And then that doesn't even count if they do get on base, how they blow tires when they get on. They right. get a hamstring when they're running the bases. So I think deep down inside uh, uh, at all management levels and on the field level, they're going to be very happy not to have the pitchers have to do that anymore. There'll be certain pitchers you'll miss being able to be, uh, you know, where you would have nine men in your lineup opposed to the other team's eight because they could do some, some things with a bat. But, you know, I think people will get over it. Yeah. I Roger, think we'll let you wind up this segment. 
Well, I was just going to say, I think colleges uh, use the designated hitter and, uh, yep. you know, you and also, uh, you know, in, in Legion and uh, Little League and Bay everywhere, Bruce, uh, everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I, the other, um, I, I was going to mention, uh, Chris, that, uh, about uh, Kevin Franson, uh, you know, leaving the Phillies broadcast team to go to uh, the Nationals. And I've heard him on MLB uh, radio, and I think he does a great job on, uh, on a talk show, uh, you know. And uh, there's obviously some other Phillies that are on, too. But uh, that was a, to me, that was a surprise about uh, Kevin Franson going to the Nationals. Well, yeah. You know, they have a they had a situation there. Uh, you know, as you know, the, the guy that was doing it, the, the color, I don't want to get into it because he's a good PJ. I, uh, I, I like him a lot, uh, uh, Santangelo. Um, uh, he, there was some problem there. I have no idea about it. Uh, but unfortunately, he's not able to continue there. So they were looking for somebody, and I think they did a good job in bringing Franson down there. And Kevin was very good with Scott Fransky uh, in his role doing, doing – um, some road games because Larry Anderson doesn't do road games anymore. And I thought he was good. And I'm not surprised that they gave him uh, another big league team, gave him an opportunity and a TV job with a guy like Bob Carpenter. You couldn't work with a better guy than Bob Carpenter. So he'll really, he'll really bring the best out of Kevin Francis. I meant Mm. F.P. Santangelo. Well, Chris, Chris, thank you very, very much. I did hear uh, who was coming up in the next segment from Frank, but, as always, thank you so very much. Always a pleasure. We'll get to see you down here at spring training sometime. Let's go. Well, okay, uh, Chris. And, 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 our, our next okay let's, let's talk group. sometime because I didn't know about any health issues. So call me sometime and we'll talk. Yeah, I, I told him. Uh, wait a minute, uh, Chris. Uh, we have a guy who's listened to you since he was a little boy, uh, and he wanted to talk to you. Uh, go ahead, uh, caller. Uh, I, I thought it was the other way around. <laughs> it's, it's good to hear you, my man. I'm still here. Are we done? I enjoyed the show. No, no, yeah, we well, Chris, oh, Chris, I, I wanna, hey, Chris, I want to tell you now, if the National League is going to the designated hitter, hey, you and I can be managers now. Having yeah, having been just, having just, been having having knowing what those guys go through about being a manager, we could never be a manager. Um, <laughs> well, you work you work with enough of them, Chris. Huh? You work with enough of them. So you, take, you know their problems. I work, with, I work with enough enough of them to know. That fans have no clue what they go through every day down there because all they look at is what they see the decisions on the field. They don't know what goes into getting those people out there. Yeah. Well, we also uh, just you know we don't get together uh, as much as we used to in the press box and in the press room. But uh, good to hear your wheels. Who is this that I'm talking to? Compliment. <laughs> Okay. I can't tell you, Chris. I'm having a little trouble hearing right now. There's a little crosstalk going. Anyway, yes, I enjoyed. I'm, I'm I enjoyed the same way. I can't. I can't hear him either. Yeah, I had trouble yeah, I hearing enjoyed. Tom too. 
Chris, I enjoyed it's always our time. wonderful to talk to you. You're the best. I'll tell you. Well, Thank you guys, you, so you guys, I got a lot of great memories with all you guys. So at any time I can do it, I'd love to do it and talk again. Thanks so okay, much. Okay, Thank you very, very much. And we'll, we'll see you down here sooner or later at one of these games. Okay. Take care. I hope so, Don. You take, you take care, Roger, Frank, all you guys. See you. Thank bye. you. You too. Thanks, Chris. PL, tell me about those flyers. Well, nobody's talking about the Flyers. I mean, you know, when you have everything that's going on with the Sixers, you know, the season season is lost. I mean, uh, you know, uh, they went out and got a top defenseman who hasn't played at all. They got the Selkie winner uh, and and the best face-off guy who was out for the season. Um, It just didn't have the forces to to make any kind of a a go of the season this year. And uh, it wasn't... uh, it wasn't the case of uh, Elaine Vigneault. I mean, it wasn't his fault that things were going that way. They just uh, they just didn't have the forces, and uh, and uh, I just don't think they're uh, they're playing fundamentally good hockey. Uh, they're losing. You know, they're, they're, the puck possession is terrible, and when your puck possession is bad, it really hurts when you don't win faceoffs and. You know, the Flyers were always in the top five in faceoff percentages, but this year they're not even in the top ten. So combined, you know, losing faceoffs, uh, which uh, eventually leads to uh, puck possession or lack of puck possession. Also, the 50-50s, you know, when going after a puck in the corners and things like that, in the case of the Flyers, it's not 50-50, it's uh, 90-10. Most of the time, the Flyers do not come away with a puck. And, uh, you know, put those things together like that, and uh, you have the reason why the uh, flower season is lost. Well, I don't have to follow it that closely, but Roger told me uh, the other day, I'm not a big attendance watcher, but he told me that, uh, I can't remember what day it was last week, the Flyers only had 5,000 people uh, at the game. I, I just can't believe that that's possible. Well, it's true. It's true, and you know, to compound that, some of those uh, tickets uh, were sold for ten dollars, and uh, like the other day, uh, the game I saw when I was leaving, I said, "Gee, I hope, I hope the fans get their money back, all ten dollars worth, because it was just terrible hockey." And uh, you know, I, I never thought I would say this about a hockey game that the game was boring. I never thought I would ever say that about hockey. Hockey's my favorite spectator sport. Uh, and you always, to me, you always get back from your bunk at a hockey game because there's always action. Hockey is the only sport where when the clock is running, there is action. You know, there's no runoff of the clock in hockey. And uh, it's a fast-paced sport, and I really, and the effort is, uh, you know, tremendous. I think they're the best athletes Mm -hmm. of the four top sports in in America. And, uh, you know, why do they only play a minute and a half or two-minute shifts? Because, you know, it's the effort of skating with all that equipment on, and, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, I guess it's the worst season I can ever remember for the Philadelphia Flyers. And uh, it's, uh, it's a shame. Um, the Flyers have great fans, but you know, like any fan, you're not going to come out if the team ain't winning. And not even winning, but not even playing good hockey. And they're not playing good hockey. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. <laughs> not playing good hockey is the story of the game right now because 
We went for a couple of years ago talking about the young players they had, the possibility of coming in and being a, the next two or three or four years being a determining factor, the best young goaltender in the league. And all of a sudden, they've gone in the opposite well, direction. You, you look for the Flyers now, you start at the bottom of the line. No, well, the thing is, Don, uh, the positives for the Flyers this year are the young guys. And mm-hmm. they're getting a better chance to uh, play now and, and get some ice time in. But before the season started, it wasn't that they were going to look for the young guys. You know, when you go out and get a cam, uh, you know, Atkinson, and uh, you go get the big defenseman, and you make these kind of trades and make these moves. Uh, you know, and part of the problem is, you know, we're in probably the toughest division in hockey. Uh, you know, even if you want a tough, toughest conference in hockey, I think that, you know, when you, want to make, when you want to make a run, you don't, you know, it's one thing when you have to jump over one or two teams. <laughs> but when you have to jump over the entire division, that's something else. And it's a year, I think, where the Stanley Cup is wide open. I think there's at least eight teams that can win the Stanley Cup this year. And wow. that rarely happens. I mean, there's really there's really no favorites. There's really no hard line. So you can say, well, Vegas, you know, and of course the way Florida's playing and things like that. But basically there's, you know, really no hardcore favorites in the National Hockey League as to who's going to win the Stanley Cup. And uh, it's wide open. Tom, Roger. you started to yeah, you started to talk about uh, you, uh, the uh, 76ers, and obviously that's the uh, uh, the big news in Philadelphia with the uh, trade of uh, Simmons for Harden. Uh, what what do you think is is this going to give the uh, Sixers uh, an opportunity to win the uh, East or not? Well, let me put it this way: you know when you it used to be you would never make a trade in your division. But, you know, free agency and salary cap. And the fact that players demand a trade anymore. I mean, <laughs> talk about the teammates running the asylum. You know, the, 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 that changes the whole thing. However, if you must make a trade in your division, and the 76ers realize that they must make a trade division, to solve the uh, Ben Simmons situation, don't make the other team better. And the Sixers have done that. You know, before the trade, well, let me put it this way. In the trade, Brooklyn gets a top three defender in Ben Simmons. Brooklyn gets a top three rebounder in, in Andre Drummond. Brooklyn gets a top two three-point percentage leader in Seth Curry. These right. are three qualities, three qualities that the Brooklyn Nets did not have before the trade. And so let me put it this way. Why did you ask me, do I think Brooklyn can win? You know, when they, when they get you know, this whole thing, you know, with the vaccination and not being vaccinated and, and you know, when Kevin Durant gets healthy, can you imagine what a team they've got that, you know, I think, you know, they're really, they're, they're a team that you have to consider making a run. And I'm not too well, they, they've gone through their they've gone through their losing streak. Well, you know they lost ten, eleven in a row, and they couldn't find a uh, they couldn't find a win there for about two and a half weeks. Uh, you know, let me throw this at you, Tommy. Uh, we've been around sports a long time. Have you ever seen the number of players moved that were moved in the NBA before the trading deadline? I don't think any team 
has anybody that they started with. Well, it's a domino effect. You know, once one thing happens, the next thing happens, the next thing happens. And, you know, Don, what I said earlier, players, when they start demanding that they want to move, they don't want to play for the team they're with anymore. And right. they sit out and they come up with any kind of uh, excuse they want. Well, that's why you get all these big trades. Okay, I'm going to, my guy doesn't want to play for me anymore. Okay, well, if he doesn't, if i got to move him, I want to get somebody in return. Well, let's look for a guy who doesn't want to play for the team he's playing for. And it goes on and on. Uh, and uh, Doncic, I mean, uh, Greg, Greg, he's he's making a move now. And he, the players are coming in and just saying, I don't want to play, and therefore get rid of me and trade me. But I, I uh, you know, I, I really think Brooklyn came out very well in this deal. And, I, and I'll tell you one thing right now, that if the Sixers do not make the finals, or if for some reason Brooklyn finishes ahead of the Sixers, or in a playoff, defeats the Sixers at a best of seven, you know what? The bromance that, that occurred between uh, Daryl Morey, the general manager of the 76ers, and James Harden is going to be followed by the bromance that Daryl Morey has with Mike D'Antoni. Uh, those guys are separated at the hip. And if, for some reason, Doc Rivers does not continue as a coach of the 76ers because of the results of the playoffs, don't be surprised if uh, another one of uh, Daryl Morey's favorites, Mike D'Antoni, becomes the next coach of the 76ers. And, you know, Don, I may be the only guy. And, it, you know, I, I just I was talking to Michael Barkat uh, just recently uh, here in Philadelphia. Um, you know, it's not easy defending Ben Simmons, you know, and I may be the only guy who does that, but let me put it this way. Uh, everybody's, it's well known about Ben Simmons refusing to shoot and not taking and being a three point, you know, absentee and having troubles at the foul line. But let, let me ask you guys this, name me three, just give me two or three defensive stalwarts who score in double figures. Uh, you know, not name LeBron James. You know, when you have an all-defensive player, does do any of them come to mind who are scorers and at least in double figures score 10 points a game? Yeah, yeah. the fact that you had to think about it answers my question. But when right, you get yeah. a guy like Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons is, is uh, first of all, he's a three-time all-star, and he's always made the all-defensive team in the NBA. In addition to that, Ben Simmons – Averages almost a triple double. People that you know, they, they they're blind because of the way. Now don't forget, don't get me wrong. I'm not a fan of the way Ben Simmons handled the whole situation. You know, Ben Simmons at 25 years old. By the way, he's only 25. There's room for improvement. But at 25, he's a very immature young man, and he handled the whole situation terribly. You know, if you don't want to play for the team you're with, you know, don't. And the worst thing you can say is, I don't want to play in Philadelphia anymore. You know. Tommy, I, I, I just hope I, I just hope that uh, they give him an opportunity, you know, two or three weeks to get himself into into playing shape. Because if the, he tries to rush or they try to rush, you know what's going to happen. He's going to pull a hamstring. He's going to something. Something's going to happen. Harden, Harden already has a a hamstring problem. Yeah, yeah. Who knows whether that's for real or whether it's just posturing to get out of Brooklyn. But I, I, I don't think, you know, Ben, for, Ben's been a very, very uh, healthy player. You know, his first year, of course, he had that problem. 
but he puts in a lot of minutes, and he's 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 an he's a triple double any night, any night, and you've got a triple double guy who who is a top three defensive player. I'll take him anytime, you know. And I just you know it's I may be an outlier when it comes to defending Ben Simmons, but Don, to answer your question, when he gets back into playing shape and he gets teamed up with uh, the rest of the guys on the Brooklyn Nets, and by the way, in the in Seth Curry's first game as a Brooklyn Net, he scored 28 points. Mm-hmm. He's second only. He's second only to his brother, Poppers, in, in three-point percentage. And the, and the Brooklyn Nets did not have anybody close to that as a three-point shooter. They didn't have anybody close to the rebounds that Andre Drummond averages. And they, did not, they don't have anybody close to defensive player that Ben Simmons will bring to the Brooklyn Nets. And when those three guys all get together and, and they figure out the Kyrie Irving thing, which is ridiculous, you know, uh, for, for instance, they're playing an away game tonight in New York, but it's in New York, which means Kyrie Irving can't play. So that takes care of that. You know, the fact that Kyrie Irving can only play in away games, no, they're playing an away game tonight, but it's in New York and he can't play. When he gets back and uh, Kevin Durant plays and you've got, you know, a three-point shooter like uh, Seth Curry, and you've got an all-time, oh, I mean, a top-three defensive player like uh, Ben Simmons. You know, I I think Brooklyn is really going to be tough to beat. I really do. And I'm not too sure how much uh, James Harden is going to be able to play. Uh, you said he's got the hamstring. I said it's probably just posturing an excuse, whatever excuse he can give to not be to not play and just get me out of Brooklyn as fast as he can. I want to play. For the 76ers, I want to be with my man Daryl Morey, and you know, that's a, and you know, players make those demands, and unfortunately, the, the demands are met, and it just screws things up in the NBA. And Adam Silver was right today. I, I totally agreed with what the commissioner said today. That whole thing with the Ben Simmons, James Harden trade was handled terribly, terribly, and it's not good for the. Sport. It was sort of handled poorly by, it was sort of handled poorly by everybody. I mean, handled poorly by Simmons and. Handled poorly by the 76ers right down the line. And uh, I don't know uh, uh, what Doc's uh, actual, what Doc's influence was in the whole thing, whether he just uh, Doc you know, got no, fed up. Doc, 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 Doc had no serious None. Zero. Bomb. Nothing. Doc just had to go along with the plan. And Doc, Doc, well, Tommy, Tommy, thank you very much. I'm, I'm going to leave this in your hands now, uh, Frank, you and Roger carry us home. Take care. Okay. Uh, Mike, uh, we got uh, Tom LeMay on with us. You got any, uh, any good yeah. information for uh, for Mr. LeMay? Yeah. I'm well, Tom I, heard, Tom, I heard you talking about the, uh, the, the, the 76ers and the Ben Harden trade. Uh, kind of a little bit down south where I am, uh, the – the Washington Wizards made a trade at the deadline, a little bit less heralded, but they picked up uh, – they were able to – Bertrand's awful contract on the Dallas Mavericks for Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that move. I have more thoughts on the trade they made uh, several weeks before that. Don't you think the Los Angeles Lakers would like, would like to redo the trade they made with the Washington Wizards? I mean, it's uh, – uh, you know, I, I, I just think that was a terrible trade. Not before, that was the one. You know, I mean, I, I you know, I, 
coach for the Los, Los Angeles Lakers, who I've known since uh, he was uh, down at Wildwood High School. He has, he's been saddled with, uh, you know, a tough situation there in Los Angeles. You know, I, I um, when you think of the players that the Washington Wizards got uh, before the trade you just mentioned, that made them a better team. You know, uh, that's a trade that I think the Lakers would rather have back uh, more than the trade that was just made. Um, I, uh, you got to give Tommy Shepard some credit, though, because he managed to try, to get rid of John Wall's contract, which we thought was absolutely untradeable. He picked up the pieces that you spoke about uh, by trading Russell. He got rid of um, John Wall for Russell Westbrook, had him for a year, got him into the playoffs, <laughs> then dumped Russell Westbrook on Los Angeles for Kyle Kuzma and uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, yep. who – uh, and then was able to get rid of uh, Dinwiddie and pick up some more pieces. Uh, Tommy Shepard may be high and go. running for GM of the year this year. I'll vote for him. <laughs> you know, I mean, don't don't you think the Lakers would, would rather? It's hard to say that, to think you'd even think this, but don't you think the Lakers would rather have Kyle Kuzma now than Russell Westbrook? <laughs> I think right now, in hindsight, absolutely, they would like to have uh, well, Kyle Kuzma. Yeah, but you're right. Regardless of hindsight or Monday morning quarterback, did you ever think you would ever say that? I never thought that I would say that. And the funny thing is we've seen the Lakers do this before when uh, they had, at the end of the Shaq Kobe run, when they tried to load up with Gary Payton and Carl uh, Malone, and that one fell flat too. So I've seen the play before. I know how it ends. Uh, I'm just surprised that you'd want to relive it. Well, listen, let me ask both of you a question. This goes back uh, to the uh, Harden-Simmons deal. Uh, you mentioned about Adam Silver, Tom. Can't the commissioner put the kibosh on a trade and just say it's not, uh, not going to be approved by the uh, NBA? Well, they've done it before, but then again, uh, the uh, previous NBA and let me put it this way: yeah, the previous NBA commissioners had a lot more power than the current one. He's, uh, you know, he's more more or less just a figurehead. Yes, they could have put. Well, they could have. Let me put it this way, Don: uh, they could have tried, Roger. They could have tried to make that play, uh, that uh, trade uh, not happen, but um, you know. As I said earlier, it's a case where the uh, inmates are running the asylum. They are absolutely. And, they and, are, and that in, and that includes and that includes diluting the power of the commissioner. And, and you well, know, owners have owners have a lot. To, owners have a lot to say about it too. You know, if, if an owner is going to uh, if an owner is going to say, "Look, I don't want this guy. We're paying this guy a lot of money." So he goes to his general manager and says, "Hey, look, is there any way we can get this guy involved in a trade so we can get rid of him?" And you know, then, and, and what are you going? To, is the commissioner going to come in and, and overrule an owner? No, because the owners are the <laughs> the owners are the backbone of the of the league, and therefore they can't say one way or the other. I, I mean, Adam Silver, I, I really, as I said before, I give him credit for saying something about the trade. You know, at least letting them know that he wasn't in favor of how this all went down. Which, um, you know, in many cases, the fans are glad to hear something like that coming from the commissioner. But yeah. um, I, uh, you know, you know, 
Let me put it this way. In many ways, LeBron James has more power than Adam Silver. Right. In, I in agree with that. that are made, in, in decisions that are made in the NBA. You know, well, and, we were uh, talking to Chris Wheeler. Look at Scott Boros. He's probably got more uh, influence and, and power than uh, Rob Manfield. Well, did you see what Scott uh, Boros did today? Rich Paul, what, same way what, in the Mike? NBA, too. Uh, did you see what uh, Scott Boros did today? I, I heard Go ahead. Um, he, Scott Boris and Juan Soto announced that they turned down a 13-year, $350 million contract extension with the uh, Washington Nationals because they're shooting for, five, for half a billion dollars. Hmm. You know, well, baseball, well, has to, yeah. you know baseball, baseball has to wake up. Uh, the, the game is boring. Uh, you know, how many times do I invoke the Don Henderson rule at a Phillies game and say I'm leaving after the seventh inning because yeah, it's it's already been three hours and I've seen enough baseball tonight for three hours. I don't have to sit there for another hour to, for them to play the last three innings. Uh, I, I uh, they have to you know there's uh, and I, I'm, I really only if we, only because of strategy did I not want to see Nate Hitter come into the National League. You know, part of baseball has always been strategy. And, you know, mm-hmm. do I take the pitcher out now? Uh, do I have to? And, and <laughs> much to the chagrin of a lot of managers, the rule that came in that a pitcher has to face three hitters, that even made it tougher for a manager to manage a game. But but to me, that was, you know, when you're sitting home, uh, you know, he's trying to think, okay, well, let's see. That's a pitcher's due up in the next inning. Are they going to hit for him? Are they going to? Bring them in, or are they going to go for the uh, closer? I'm sorry. Are they going to? It's the seventh inning. Are they going to go for the seventh inning man? Or if it's the eighth inning, are they going to put the eighth inning man in there? You know, are they going to finally put the closer in there? That's all gone. That's all gone. Who's going to be a closer anymore? I mean, when you take the national, when you take the strategy out of baseball, you have really cut to the core of what baseball is all about. And uh, I was sorry to see that uh, the players, uh, the players association, love it because you got guys who can hardly run the first base. They're going to be able to extend their careers because I got all they got to do is sit on the bench and step into the batter's box every once in a while. To me, that's not baseball. That is not baseball. But uh, that's the way it's going to go, and uh, I'm sorry to see that happen. Well, I am too, but that you're right. That's baseball. And uh, what about you, Mike? Uh, you you uh, happy or not happy about the uh, designated hitter? I'm with y'all. I'm National League guy. I like the strategy. I like all of that stuff. But it's become so tedious. And I think one thing that we always miss, though, is that TV, baseball has to find a way to make the TV product better, right? I still like going to games. There's a certain nostalgia about going to a couple of games a year. You get up, you walk around, you talk to the people. It's more of a social sport. It keeps you company at times rather than a football game where you feel like you almost have to participate. You have to stand, you have to cheer, you have to do certain things at certain times. Baseball, you just kind of, you watch. It's almost like going to the theater. They bring you food. It's great. But the TV product is just horrendous. And it, it, like you all said, it, it, it takes so long. And I get the, the move to make the 
the pitchers faced three batters because it was getting just the number of pitching changes that were going on. You could have four or five pitching changes in one inning with guys coming in to face one batter, and then, you know, the next batter is a righty, so we got to go to the bullpen and get our right-handed specialist out. Um, it, they, well, that, I don't that, envy Rob Manfred and his need to, to try and make this game relevant and appeal to uh, generations that have a much shorter attention span right now and more options for well, that, all, that, that all started with that all started with the pitch count. You know, if you if you don't have the pitch count and you have guys going, you have starting pitchers going into the eighth inning, then you don't have to worry about all these changes in the pitcher. You don't have to worry right. about the guy coming in for the seventh and a guy coming in for the eighth. To forget that you know that pitch instead of having the pitch count. In in, in uh, on the scoreboard in right field or wherever it is in Philadelphia's right field, I would rather have the shot clock. You know, it's a fetcher. First of all, you've, to pick the pace up of the game, you got to have a shot clock to make it move along. But then again, you just mentioned they have to have that two minute break for the commercials to get in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, in addition to that, when when baseball reached the point where there were more strikeouts than hits. Think about it. More strikeouts yeah. than hits. When baseball That's has bad. that kind of a situation, you know, <laughs> because everybody's, everybody's going for the launch. Right. You know? And uh, I, I remember, I remember to talking to uh, former Cardinals manager, Mike McPhee in Philadelphia. And he's sitting in the dugout and here before the game. And um, everybody had all the, media had asked him questions and he hadn't gone back into the locker room yet before the game and he was sitting there and he was sitting there on the bench with an ash bat, a wood ash wood bat in his hand. And I said to myself, you know, that per- that pretty much tells me where Mike Matheny's thinking is. You know, he's got the old school baseball bat in his hand. And I up to him and I said, Mike, uh, you know, what what do you think the problem is with baseball? And he says the launch. Everybody mm-hmm. wants the launch angle. Well, Mike didn't subscribe to that, and it cost him his job. And I think Mike Matheny, a former catcher, as I do with, uh, I've had this theory all ever since I can remember trying to figure out who are the best managers in baseball. And catch, all former catchers. Most You're right. Make the best managers in baseball. And yeah. I'm glad to see Mike picked up another job. But uh, that's more of a problem with baseball in addition to the slow and four-hour games. And, uh, but the fact that there are more strikeouts than hits, uh, that, that to me is, is really one of the detriments that is really taken away from the game. And well, I, uh, you know, I agree. Uh, Go ahead, but, Tom. But, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, what, what are you, and, and I think uh, there was, you know, you were talking about, well, you get to talk to innings and uh, talk. What do you talk about? Okay, what's going to happen now? It's the seventh inning. Are they going to bring in the closer? Are they going to bring in the, you know, you don't have to worry about that anymore, you know. You know, the designated hitter, uh, you know, makes it, a hell, I think, makes it a lot easier to manage a baseball game. And when you, you know, don't have that strategy anymore, I think it takes away from the intrigue and uh, it takes away from, I said, the core of what baseball is all about, strategy. You know, and uh, <laughs> just to putting a man on second base to start the extra innings. <laughs> that is that is such 
that is such a, a crime to the uh, to the structure of baseball. You know, that's uh, you know, as I said, if you didn't have the, the, the problems that I mentioned before, maybe there wouldn't be so many extra inning games to begin with. But uh, you know, it, it's it it, it it's uh, it strikes at the core of the game that kind of strategy. Well, you're exactly right, and uh, I just. Uh... Uh, I think, you know, in the shot clock uh, is now in high school uh, sports or basketball in uh, Georgia. And the first time I ever saw it at a high school level was in New York. But uh, it's uh, quickly, and to in some extent, uh, moved, well, not quickly, but, ra- you know, semi-rapidly, I guess is the best way to describe it across the country. And uh, and what it does is it it takes another official uh, on the uh, the scores table uh, to operate the uh, the thir- the the uh, 32nd clock in this case. So uh, you know, but you're right. I mean, if it's going even to high school uh, sport uh, basketball, then you know uh, that uh, the uh, it's it's going to be you know all over in in every uh, level. Uh, and uh, a well, shot how long is that going to take? I remember talking to Rob Manfred in his first year as commissioner of baseball, and I posed that question to him. I said, Mr. Commissioner, do you think we can get the shot clock for pitchers? And he goes, well, we have it in the Arizona League. I said, right, we have it in the Arizona League. But what, what is it going to take to get it up into the major leagues? And he said, well, uh, you'll have to deal with the Players Association on that. Boom. And how long has Manfred been the commissioner of baseball? That tells you how long ago that conversation I had with him has uh, taken. And where are we going from there? Yeah. Uh, who doesn't? Who, you have to stop to think who does not want the shot clock? Players Association? According to the commissioner back then, that was the reason. The player, the player association do not want it, and who rules the player association? Why would they not want it? Because the pitchers don't want it, right? And uh, you know what other reason is there to tell me why the shot clock is not in Major League Baseball today? Who's who's the guy? Yeah, I, I agree. Who is Mike? I wanted to get back to um, what we were talking about on that contract. Um, talk about that. I, I, I heard something about Boros, but I did not know that that's what it was. Yeah, so it came out today that uh, Juan Soto, before the lockout, was offered uh, 13 uh, years, $350 million for uh, and he turned that down. Now, this was part of the lockout. And he confirmed the report and basically said that he and Scott Boros were interested in getting to free agent. He believes that he can set the market. I had thought that maybe the deal, which had an annual contract value of around 27 mil, uh, that maybe they were a little bit off. I had thought that, you know, he's looking for more along the line. He wants to be over what Mike Trout got. 
And at mm-hmm. 23 years old, uh, I don't know that he's the fielder that Mike Trout is, but he certainly has a pretty good, uh, you know, resume. You know, mm-hmm. Rookie of the year, uh, silver slugger, all-star, you know, runner-up for the gold glove. The kid's been a good player. Uh, he's already run, won a batting title. I thought maybe they were looking in the, the realm of something in the neighborhood of like 15 years because he's only 23. Uh, 15 years and at an average contract value of about uh, 30 mil. So, you know, maybe 15 for 45, 450, I'm sorry. Um, mm-hmm. But then I read a report before I came on the air trying to figure out how many more years of team control they had. And he said, through Boris again that they were looking for uh, something in the neighborhood of 500 million, which to me is just uh, I, I don't know I don't think the market can support that just about it anywhere. No, uh, and it, it becomes really interesting to see what the Nationals are going to do with him. He's going to get about 16 million this year in arbitration, and he's got two years of arbitrate team control after this season, so three seasons total. If it becomes clear that he's not going to resign, at what point in time do you have the internal discussion? Like, he's not going to resign an extension while he's still with the team. He wants to go to free agency. At what point in time do you start to have discussions internally about trading the guy? Because I can't imagine what the haul would be to get somebody like Juan Soto now. Like, if you're the New York Yankees, do you even have? You know, you have the money that he might be looking for in the contract. You could resign him for that. But do you even have the prospects necessary to get somebody like that? It's going to be mm-hmm. one of those interesting stories to keep an eye on as it continues to develop. Well, you know, the other thing, well, fellas, well, is well, that... You mentioned, you mentioned two things. Uh, you mentioned two things. First of all, you mentioned the market. That That's number one. All right. And also, what, how much team control does Washington currently have over Soto? They got him for three more years, three more arbitration-eligible years. Okay. So, you know, and that's what I always said about, the, uh, to put it in, in other terms, that's what I said about the 76ers. The Sixers, in through this whole thing with Ben Simmons, were dealing from strength because Ben Simmons had four more years on his contract with the 76ers. And now the beneficiaries of that are the Brooklyn Nets. They got him for four years without a problem with what he's currently signed for. So, so team control is number one, one A, and one B, and you mentioned it, is the market. Uh, the Yankees may not have the, uh, the, uh, the personnel for a trade or their farm system, whatever you know, they're lacking in, in the personnel to make a trade possible, but they certainly can pay him the amount of money that Washington could not. So where do you go from there, taking those two items into consideration, the market and team control? Uh, it, that's, uh, you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates were never able to keep all their guys because of the market. You know, and uh, Kansas City Royals, they were never able to keep all their guys because of the market. You know, as soon as a guy, you know, becomes a big star, uh, in a smaller market or a medium-sized market, you know the vultures who are the big market guys come come flying over them as and, and just waiting to strike. And uh, you know 
it's amazing that Tampa was able to win the World Series. You know, they don't get anybody. I mean, you know, you guys down there in Florida know this. You know, it's Florida is not is not a summer baseball state. They are a winter baseball state. Um, but they're a the well-run organization, Tom. Well-run organization. They are. And I, I, I wouldn't call DC. I wouldn't call DC a small market. I just don't think that they're willing to. Pay. No, no, no. They've never compared, yet. No, we're talking no, no about Tampa. York, about Tampa, Mike. Compared to New York, about, that no, they are well run. Los Angeles and Chicago. Yeah, but compared okay. to New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, you know, uh, who, who, who are always in the running for the World Series anymore? Big market teams. Big market teams. And I, you're right. I give credit to Tampa Bay. Despite the fact that they only get you know, maybe a couple thousand at their games in that terrible stadium they have down there, uh, it's amazing. They are an amazing success story. But the Tampa Bay baseball team. Uh, I just, and Florida's a joke. I mean, the Marlins, I mean, they are the only team that when they build a new stadium did not have a, stadium, a new stadium honeymoon. They couldn't get people to come into that stadium when it was brand new. Baltimore was able to do it. Every team that started with a brand-new stadium had what they called a honeymoon as far as getting fans to come out and fill that stadium. Miami was never able to do that. And uh, that's that's basically the story of Florida baseball. And, you well, know, the other thing is, story, despite... I, I think, uh, Tom, that the uh, where the Marlins made the mistake and Miami made the mistake is where they put the uh, stadium. It's on the site of the old Orange Bowl, isn't it? Yeah, it's in a bad situation yes. in Miami. You're right. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't, uh, you know, maybe that's the reason. I, you know, well, look where Yankee Stadium is. <laughs> it's in the freaking Bronx. Well, yeah, but, you know, yeah. you know, but the thing is, you can get in and out of Yankee Stadium, and, and it's been there for three different stadiums. But, you know, it, it's it's part of the uh, culture, uh, the history. And, and I can tell you that uh, I've been to Yankee uh, games, and, and not, not the new one, but it's, at the, you know, right across the street, so to speak. And I got out of there uh, as soon as the game was over, into a parking lot out, and I was out in Morris County in 45 minutes. Okay, now, I can tell you when the Braves were at Turner Field and I lived in Flowery Branch that it would take me at least a half hour just to get out of the parking lot and not with a full house onto uh, the downtown connector, 7585. And, you know, it's a heck of a lot. It's probably farther to go to Morris County than it was for me to go to Flowery Branch in Hall County from Atlanta. So, but that was where you lose the time is just getting out onto uh, the, uh, uh, the the highway. And there at Yankee Stadium, you get on the Major Deacon, you're on 95, and you're out of there. And uh, but you know you have, I'm sure there's times that that's not the case. But you know that's culture. The same thing uh, at Wrigley Field. The same thing at, at Fenway. Uh, you know, when I've gone to Fenway, I've pretty much uh, taken a tro- the uh, a trolley, you know, and parked, uh, you know, a couple of miles away. 
So, you know, it, it, it depends. And uh, now, would you go to Connie Mack Stadium uh, if the if uh, Citizens Bank Park was the 21st in Lehigh? No. Okay, but that's what I'm saying about Miami. I could never figure out why they ever uh, did that. Because if you look at SoFi Stadium, that is not uh, where the Coliseum is. And that, what have they done now? They made the Coliseum into a an automobile racing track, too. Did you see that? Well, the Coliseum yeah, still got to be the Coliseum. I, just, I, I really don't I, – I really think you're putting too much uh, credit into the location of, uh, of the uh, Miami or the Florida Marlins Stadium. I, I just don't think uh, Florida is a winter t- as a summertime baseball state. Oh, I, I agree really with that. I agree. And I don't, I don't think well, – I don't care where the stadium is. Uh, well, you know, as bad as the stadium is, uh, Tampa Bay is a really accessible, really, really accessible place to get in and out of, I think. You know, it's right there off, what, 75? And uh, actually, uh, uh, Miami, even though it's in a bad location, you, you can see the Miami Stadium as you drive by on 95, going through uh, Florida, going through downtown yeah. Miami. So yeah, but St. Petersburg think, uh, takes a long time to get there from Tampa, Tom. Pardon me? I said St. Petersburg is not right around, right, you know, near downtown Tampa. Okay, you know, I've been there a number of times. I I just don't think there's enough baseball fans in the summertime in Florida to support two, let alone one, uh, baseball team in in the state of Florida. I just don't think there's enough baseball fans in the summertime. You know, know, Florida is the home of, uh, what do they call it, you know, the the people who fly up for uh, the summertime up here and go down to Florida in the wintertime. The snowbirds, snowbirds. And, uh, the, and, and, and I'll tell you, the snowbirds are increasing in numbers more and more every year. Oh, no, so, there's no the doubt about live, it. And, and, and the people who live full-time in Florida, particularly those who would be Florida Marlin fans, cannot afford to go to baseball games. The ticket prices well, they, are too, they, too expensive. Yeah, they go, to minor, they go to minor league games, too. I know, you know. Well, listen, Tom, well, we appreciate yeah, they, it. We're going to uh, move on. And, uh, Mike, uh, we've got uh, uh, Doug's uh, replacement tonight to talk about golf, Caden. So uh, we appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you soon next week. You got it, Roger. Have a great Thank week. You, Thanks so much, hey, Tom. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Yeah, have a good one. Okay. okay. Uh, uh, welcome to, to uh, Caden. Uh, and uh, I'm sorry, uh, Frank gave you, is it ha- uh, Caden Harris? I'm sorry. No, Caden Carroll. Caden Carroll. Caden Carroll. Okay. There yes, we sir. go. Now I yes, got sir. it. Okay, Caden. Yeah. Uh, you're yeah, you're in for Doug Hamilton tonight. Man, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Doug's on Are you a big golfer, Caden? What did you say? He is a good golfer. Oh, am I a good yeah, golfer? A good golfer. Um, I can drive. I, I can. That's about it. <laughs> I'll be honest. I ain't, I ain't no top tier golfer, but that's all right. You, you have, you're a man of many talents because you're uh, that's uh, your grandfather that puts this all together. Correct? Yeah. 
So uh, I'll tell you what, Kate, I understand you uh, you do pretty well in broadcasting. Tell us a little bit about uh, your uh, athletic career. Um, I haven't, I haven't done a lot. I mean, I, I played tackle football for a little bit, um, for like five, six years. Um, now I've kind of gotten into, um, like the show, doing the show every single, um, Saturday night, you know, watching a lot of MMA, trying to get into some, um, trying to get into the boxing gym, trying to get into, uh, boxing as a sport. Uh, that's about it though. Well, let me ask you this, Caden. Do you, uh, do you want to get into boxing as a participant or as a broadcaster, as a promoter? Uh, exactly, you know, what, what's your interest? I mean, at first, I, I, wanted to be, I wanted to be a boxer for a little bit. Um, and then once you know, I got on the show uh, for the first time, which I don't know how long ago it was. I think it's like, I think I come up with like, uh, like, like six months six ago. Months. Yeah. Like yeah. Six, Six months ago, um, I've kind of yeah. like stopped. I, I don't want to kind of be a participant anymore. I kind of want to commentate and do stuff like that. You know, I, I like that more. You do like that. Well, that's great because you know boxing is is get, coming back. And Frank, uh, uh, I mean, you know about this more than anybody. I see more <laughs> boxing on TV now than I have since yeah. the old days when we had three networks and fr- you had Friday really? night fights. And uh, and then you then you it was Monday night from St Nicholas Arena right in New York, yes. Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Friday night, really, the uh, Cavalcade of yeah. Sports. Gillette then, Cavalcade uh, Sports. Yeah. Mhm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, as as weird as as weird as it is, I've said this since the start. Somebody, there's been one prominent name who's been bringing younger younger the younger generation back. Didn't bring me back and didn't bring me to boxing, but he's bringing a lot of more younger uh, fans to boxing. I know some people are going to shame you for this, but Jake Paul has brought a lot of young eyes to the sport of boxing. I'm not oh saying my God, I, I, I hope boxer, but I think he brings a lot more uh, people to the sport. Well, I, 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 your dad does too. I mean, your grandfather does too. Yeah. I mean, with the Saturday night show, I've heard it a couple of times, and uh, you know, I've told people about it, uh, uh, the, the, about the show because the it, there's definitely, and we've had on the Wednesday night show, to, like the night show, we've had Jay Russell Pelt, um, you know, your grandfather mentioned uh, Bernard Fernandez being a little under the weather. I mean, he's a legendary uh, writer. Uh, oh, yeah. In boxing, and what, how many times did he say he was in Vegas in his uh, career, Frank? I mean, it was like hundreds. Oh. Yeah, yeah. He's also Bernard is also the uh, president of the American Boxing uh, Writers Association. Uh, oh, is he? A, well, nobody be better yes. than him. Yeah, he's a tremendous uh, Kate, role model uh, for, for our young guys. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Kate, hey, hey, tell me how how old are you? Uh, I'm 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 14, but I'm gonna I'm turning 15 in like uh, two months. Okay, or, so like, months. Uh, forget. Are you uh, are you in eighth grade or a freshman in high school? No, I'm a freshman. Freshman, okay. And uh, the uh, are there any? Uh, do they have any uh, in your high school? Do they have any 
uh, in the weight room where they have punching bags and things like that? Uh, like not boxing? really. Usually when I go in there, um, I just I I mean I I just go in there, I work out, talk to my friends when I'm in the, when I'm weight training and stuff like that. That's about it. Well. Well, well, I'll tell you, the reason I ask is uh, I'm getting a whole new education, and uh, your grandfather will attest to this, with subbing uh, in schools. Like I had a middle school today, and uh, but I've been into a lot of high schools, and I am amazed at what I see in the weight rooms. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. Uh, there's, there's some people who can lift huge. some real weights. I'll say, I'll yeah. say that are huge. Yeah, I mean the the weight rooms are are uh, huge, and I know uh, Don Henderson, uh, who, who uh, was on, you know, really uh, is, is the main man with your uh, grandfather of the show, and uh, he's you know had some uh, uh, hospital time, and uh, but he's got gotten back. Oh yeah, I heard about have been that. answered. Yeah, well, uh, Trenton High School. Uh, they re- they built a new one, and that's where Don went to school. And what they did was, and I was just describing this to one of the football coaches the other day in high school, they they uh, put the, uh, uh, when they rebuilt it, or when they built the new one on the site of the old one, they put the weight room so it's in the corner and it looks out over the gym. So that you can be in there and be watching a game the same time you're working out. Of course, it's huge, but mm-hmm. I thought that was really a, a sharp way to uh, to do it. But I was in a high school the other day, you know, and uh, probably about the same size as yours, and I couldn't believe how long that weight room was. I mean, it had everything, including punching, but ba- not punching bags. But the big ones, you know, the heavy ones, like, you know, you're used to uh, where you really get a good workout. Oh, yeah. So do you uh, follow uh, a boxing with any periodicals, any magazines or websites um, or anything? I'm kind of I'm, – I'm more big into MMA than I am boxing. I'm still, I'm still learning on boxing. I, st- I just got into this, you know, not that long ago. Um, mm-hmm. I've been I've been slightly following MMA kind of my most of like a little bit of my entire life, uh, but now I've gotten like really really into it. Um, but boxing, I'm still I'm still learning boxing still, so I still have a lot to go when it comes to that aspect. Mhm. Do you have uh, uh, brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have. Um, let me count. <laughs> um, <laughs> five five brothers, no sisters. Five brothers. Okay, so there's a basketball team right there, right? Yep. The are you the oldest? No, I'm the youngest. You're the youngest. Yep. So everybody is like uh, all they they're leading you. Oh yeah. I definitely oh, I definitely good. looked up to my brothers all my life though. So I'm well, glad to have older brothers. Oh, absolutely. Because I'll tell you what. They they can protect you and they give you good guidance, but you come from a wonderful family, and your grandfather's just the uh, an, an ace. And uh, yeah, we you know we, we were just talking about uh, the other day Don and I were about uh, you know your grandfather and and your great grandfather, okay uh, the uh, you know in law enforcement and how important that is and and everything and. 
Uh, are there? Let me ask you this: In your freshman class, uh, are there uh, any guys or girls that uh, you found that are interested in boxing? Uh, that's that's the weirdest thing. You can. Uh, I was I was going to talk. I was talking about this on the show. You can you can go around. You can ask like um, say you can ask three hundred people at my high school. Who is the heavyweight champ of the UFC? I would guess maybe two of them would know. Mm-hmm. It's the craziest thing, and like that's the sad thing where I hope um, combat sports kind of come back from. You know, is mm-hmm. they're, they're at a dying point right now, and not a lot of people are watching it, especially boxing. But like you said, you know, a lot of it now is is just it's now just revitalizing with these new boxers and the new, the new wave of boxing. You know, the new wave of viewers. But I mean, right now it's still you know needs to recover from. Some people not watching and stuff like that, and I think that's that's just the main problem with boxing. But I mean MMA, MMA is a lot more a lot more on the um, the uprising. MMA is one of the fastest growing sports in America, but boxing is just taking a dive right now, especially in viewership. What what about? Hey Keith, let me ask you a question. As far as as there's a couple um, balls up in the air right now, uh, Francois Ngannou. Uh, he just uh, finished off a great uh, season, uh, has a possibility of setting a date after Fury wins his next fight of fighting uh, Fury, boxing. The other one, Kahib is, is uh, shooting his mouth off, that the uh, it should be uh, uh, Nagano. Uh, um, uh, Nagano. As a winner. That's always one thing um, that Fury actually reached out to Francis Ngannou, asking him he would fight Francis Ngannou um, UFC gloves, so he'd fight him with MMA gloves but boxing rules. Um, I think that would be a great compromise, but if they go to a full, say, 12-round fight and and do that, there's, I mean, Francis Mm -hmm. Ngannou is going to be gassed by by Mm -hmm. by, by the fifth round. And mm-hmm. I mean, this, I mean, Ngannou has power. He he might be the, one of the strongest punchers right. on the planet. Um, mm-hmm. And but so is Deontay Wilder. You saw what Tyson Fury did to Deontay Wilder. I think everybody sure. did. Um, sure. So I mean, if it, I mean, even and and Deontay Wilder's better than Tyson, better than um, Francis mm-hmm. Ng, Francis Ngannou at boxing. So Francis mm-hmm. Ngannou needs. A, he needs a long, long way until he gets to the mm-hmm. level to actually try and challenge someone like uh, Tyson Fury, who's 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 um, probably um, who's top three pound for pound on the planet. You know, he mm-hmm. he needs a, a long he needs a long, long way until he can actually yeah. put up a, against Fury in a full you know twelve round boxing match. Hey, Kate, yeah, no, can I be your agent? I want, I want to yeah. sign you up as an analyst for TV. Can I be your agent? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll tell you. Frank, he knows his stuff. He's great. I, know, I told you that, yeah. Let me hear yeah. this, Roger. On Saturday night, we had a, had a terrific fight. It was uh, Adesanya uh, against uh, Whitaker. Uh, Whitaker, mm-hmm. of course, uh, lost. But Adesanya uh, broke his hand. He was supposed mm-hmm. to be, he was the he definitely was the underdog going into the fight. He ended up breaking his hand. Uh what do you think the uh, odds are of um 
that number one, that, that healing up and, and the two of them getting a uh, a rematch, or um, well, Adesanya you now, because... Well, who's, who's definitely next in line is not Robert Whitaker again. And also, right. I, I do think that Adesanya wasn't the, um, the underdog going into that fight. I, I do think that um, Robert Whitaker was going to put up a, a, a hell of a fight, which he did. And a lot of people are saying that Whitaker got robbed in the in the split decision, which I don't really know about that. I don't think he won three rounds out of that fight. But anyway, the next mm-hmm. the next in line um, is whoever won the the bout between Jared Cannonier and Derek Brunson and Jared. Jared Cannonier came out the victor, and he is next in line to fight uh, Israel Adesanya. Now, nobody – Israel Adesanya has never really fought uh, someone like uh, Jared Cannonier. He's never fought Jared Cannonier. He's never fought anybody like Jared mm-hmm. Cannonier. Jared Cannonier is a very big middleweight. He's a very powerful puncher at middleweight, probably the, the, probably the hardest-hitting middleweight in, in, in that division. Um, and maybe – I think even I think even in the, the light heavyweight division, if, even if he went up there, I think he would still be the most powerful. Um, so it's kind of like if if Jared Cannonier can maybe switch up his game a little bit, incorporate some wrestling into it, incorporate some ground game into his fighting, I think he has a real chance of actually taking Izzy to the ground, getting some good ground and pound, and getting a TKO by the third or fourth round. That is mm-hmm. if. Adesanya lets him. Because Adesanya is probably either number one or number two pound for pound in the MMA world. Um, yeah, uh, according to White, um, he's the number one guy uh, in uh, MMA right now. Is he either him or Usman? Yeah, Usman. Either him he, or Usman. He says it's second, yeah. Yeah. This is something that came out on MMA News today. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you, Kate, uh, this goes back because your dad and I are in the same age group. First time I ever went to see a boxing match, but it was on closed circuit TV. Uh, It was at the uh, Bellevue Stratford in Philadelphia before Legionnaire's disease, Frank. And uh, it was closed circuit. Inga Mario Hansen, Floyd Patterson. So you know how long ago that was. Yeah. And but I did have the opportunity to interview when uh, we were, I was working at uh, WHWH. We had Larry Holmes on quite a bit. I, wasn't the boxing commissioner in New Jersey? I think it was Larry Charles. Uh, Larry yeah, uh, something. Yeah. yeah, that's who I thought it was. And he was great. We used to have him on all the time. Because I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Caden, a fellow that I used to work with in radio in New Jersey. His name's David Brody. He lives in Fort Lauderdale now. We'll have to have him on with you because he is like your you and your grandfather boxing aficionado. And uh and 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 it would be a lot of fun. I think we had David on years ago, but uh we'll have to mm-hmm. do that and make sure you're on with him because I'll tell you, Caden, you, I'm serious, you got a bright <laughs> future in broadcasting because you Thank really you. know your stuff. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> They ought to get well, guys, you doing the to... announcement at your high school. <laughs> yeah. I hate to cut it off, but we're right up against our, our I know. Line. Well, and, listen, Caden, uh... it was a pleasure and honor, and, uh, you know, to uh, meet uh, one of Frank's grandsons, and uh, congratulations and continued success, and 
Uh, stay, keep on doing that good work in school, okay? Thank you, thank you. Hey, Frank, thanks for everything. Yeah, we appreciate okay, it. Thanks, love you. Thanks, and uh, take care. Have a great week. And uh, the Donald will, I'm sure, be back. Yeah, I'm sure he will. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation of the United States Armed Forces, men and women of the United States Armed Forces, men and women of police and fire services. And they're, they're paid for by Biosolar. Biosolar is a uh, solar company, solar panel company, located in St. Petersburg, Florida, but they have their license around the country. So if you call them at 727-314-6976, Patrick can explain the program to you. You'll save, over the next 25 years, you'll save 50% on, as guaranteed, on your usage. Uh, You also get a chance to buy them. Or you can, uh, just by telling them that you, you heard it on Fighting Words, you get a $250 bonus, uh, cash bonus uh, at signing. So uh, we just want to let everybody know that. Uh, these programs are dedicated to those who've lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, <laughs> Sergeant Thomas Batinger, uh, Patrolman Def- Jeffrey Yazowitz. Uh, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Zendler, uh, Patrolman Charlie Connett, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Clegg Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris Levake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Arnolfo Crispin, Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerman, Newcastle County Police. Uh, Deputy uh, Josh Moran, Newcastle County Sheriff's Office. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Lieutenant uh, Ardeth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Fikas, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Highway, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogle, Longwood Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, will be the fire department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, and sometime we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hollow of his hands. And I God bless and have a great week. Shemalek ma yilama Shemahezahilma Sona shenevoratfet Hakuigaget ma yilama Oh, I am.